express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Mary. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art. And welcome, you're listening to Art on the Air on WVLP 103.1 FM and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. This is our weekly program covering arts and arts events in Valparaiso and throughout Northwest Indiana. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City. Aloha, everyone. We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Our theme music you heard is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Underwriters for Art on the Air are Valparaiso University's Brower Museum, regional art patron Mary LeVan, and our landlord, Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments. If you'd like to find out more about leasing space in this historic building, please give Walt a call, 219-462-5821. I'd like to thank them for their generous support. Thanks to Greg Kovach, WVLP's station manager. Art in the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant through South Shore Arts and is part of the National Endowment for the Arts. If you're interested in being a guest or sending us information about your arts, arts-related event or exhibit, please email us at artontheairwvlp at gmail.com. That's artontheairwvlp at gmail.com. Our program, along with all of our programs, are streaming live at wvlp.org. Art in the Air is rebroadcast on Monday at 5 p.m. Our entire show archive can be heard at our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That's breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com slash AOTA. And normally we have our detailed arts events calendar there too. However, during this COVID-19 situation, we're not putting a calendar up. Our shows are carried by Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, every Sunday at 7 p.m. And you can hear them at lakeshorepublicradio.org. And make sure to like us on our Facebook page, Art on the Air, WVLP. Art on the Air is always looking for financial support. We'd like to thank our current supporters. If you're looking to support Art on the Air and, of course, the WVLP station, we'd be happy to become part of the WVLP family anytime. Esther and I especially would invite you to become an underwriter of this program in particular. We have information on our website at breck.com AOTA. You can find out support information there or at wvlp.org support. We have underwriter levels at various levels. You can support us. We'll mention you during our show and throughout the WVLP broadcast day. You know, we encourage you to uh, become part of a supporter because we are supported by our listeners. So don't just be a WVLP and Art on the Air listener. Become a supporter or underwriter in whatever amount you're able to do so so we continue to bring you this great content and this great local programming. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. And you'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air and the whole WVLP family. Join the WVLP family today. And welcome to Art in the Air. Today we have painter, teacher, and musician David Kreiner. Uh, he does a lot of abstract, large pieces, uh, revisiting themes as a student all the way to a present. Uh, he likes to celebrate and lean into the existence of consciousness amidst uh, stardust and rubble. And so welcome to the show, David. Hello, yeah, David. Thank you, Larry. Well, tell yeah, us... A- thank you, guys. Well, thank you uh, for being on the show. Uh, tell us a little bit about your uh, background, like where you grew up, uh, where you went to school, all your different schooling well, and everything. Well, I, I grew up primarily in the Midwest, and I uh, ended up 
studying art eventually, although that's not how I started out. But eventually I ended up becoming a painting major at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana. And then I went on to the University of Kansas uh, to get a master's in fine art. So um, where did you start out? You said you, didn't start, you said you didn't start out with art. Where were you headed? Well, it's kind of a, a long story. I mean, I always made art. I mean, since I was as young as I can remember, I made art and got a, a complete thrill and charge out of doing it. But I didn't really consider art as a career or a vocation. I didn't really seriously entertain that until I was about 20. And um, so it, it took me a while to kind of take the leap. And when I first did, you know, it was it was a little bit frightening. I, I come from a place where if you tell someone you plan on becoming an artist, they laugh a little bit and, and want to know, well, how, how are you going to make a living? You know? Yeah, what's, what's your real job going to be? <laughs> right. Point, I don't even I don't even look back on it as a choice that I made or even really as a, a profession so much as something that was much more of a calling. And I mean, it was something that, that found me early on and, and it wasn't something that I could escape from. So was it always... Um, was it always the painting discipline, or were there other things that captured your artistic heart? Oh well, you know, I mean, I you know, I drew and paint since I was very small, and then I guess I was about thirteen or so when I decided to try to teach myself how to play a guitar. I, I was very determined, and there was nobody telling me to play the instrument. There was no one nagging me to practice or anything like that. It was completely my own volition and, and wish to pursue it and get better at it. And at one point, I did take a little bit of lessons on the guitar for a few months. Um, but for the most part, it's been something where I've learned on my own or in collaboration with others, like playing in bands, that kind of thing. Wow, that's wonderful. What kind of music uh, did you play uh, uh, when you first started out? Well, when I first started out, I wanted to emulate Jimmy Page of mm -hmm. Led Zeppelin <laughs> and started uh, studying his music through uh, songbooks. I had, I had, I think early on, I had a pretty good ear. I could pick out notes if I if I heard something, but I had a, a terrible sense of timing and rhythm. I, I had no concept of that. And it took me quite a while to develop that. It really, uh, I didn't, I didn't get that sense of timing and rhythm until I started playing in in bands in high school. And um, one of the bands that I played in the longest, I guess, we were called the Primitives. And the music that we played was uh, all covers, but it was you know new wave rock and roll music, mostly from the '80s maybe late 70s, that kind of thing. So I wasn't writing music really until, oh, about 2004 or so when uh, I found myself with another another group that I was playing with called Forbidden Planet. You have albums, correct? Yeah, uh, Forbidden Planet was the name of our band in the, the earlier 2000s, and we, we uh, put together an album in 2007, that was called Action Success. Okay. And I know one of the cuts from that yeah. says Touch of Evil. Her. Yes, yes, yes. That, that's right. Band, band play mostly in the Chicago area, or did you... Yes, so where, yes where did... entirely so. Yeah, we would play out at, at uh, a few a few clubs and that kind of thing. Yeah. 
Do you still play live? Uh, certainly, yeah, but I, I no longer play with a band. When I've performed in recent years, it's been uh, just myself on my classical guitar, and most of the venues have been um, art galleries, actually. Sometimes I've played at other artists' openings, and then more recently I've played at my own gallery exhibition for an audience at perhaps a, a closing that kind of thing. Played at the nest. I did. That's right. <laughs> While we're on your music, maybe we should have a sample of it. Uh, one of them, I think, is called End of Something. Tell us a little bit about that before we play that. Oh, The End of Something. That's a, a very recent track that I wrote in collaboration with my friend Kirk Markarian. And we call ourselves DCKM. I'm DC, he's KM. And we've got this uh, EP that we are just finishing up and getting ready to put out there. Our tracks are already available to listen on YouTube and Bandcamp. But the end of something, uh, it, it, it's a song that's just under three minutes. And, and like all of our music, it's instrumental and it combines acoustic guitar with more uh, digitized electronic kind of sound. I'm the, the guitar player in DCKM, and Kirk Markarian is primarily the sort of uh, electronic I know, but he, You know, David, the collaboration is so exciting together, how each of your styles come together. It's really magical. I just, I, I mean, the wow. layering, the layering of it is just exquisite. I love it. Well, I feel like, I feel like, you know, I bring something to the table and Kirk brings something to the table. But at the same time, we each bring things out of each other that would not ordinarily be there if we were just working on our own. I, I can certainly say that about myself. Well, you did that was like a Kirk, really, it's, it's a really complicated sound when they're blended together. It's wonderful. My, well, I, thank you. I, I appreciate it so much. Well, why don't we just take a listen to that? We're going to listen to the end of something.
And that was a wonderful end of something. And uh, that's available on uh, EP. Has that been released yet, David? Uh, it hasn't been officially released, um, but you can preview it on uh, YouTube. And actually, it is available for purchase via Bandcamp, so, so you can find it there, too. Okay, very good. I noticed uh, you had some interesting uh, graphics that went along with it on the YouTube uh, channel. Oh, oh yeah. My, uh, so, Kirk, my, my partner here, he uh, and I developed the video for it. And the way it worked is uh, Kirk asked me if there was a, if he could use uh, one of my paintings. And I said, okay, sure, uh, take whatever you like. And so he selected one of my larger recent paintings, and then he um, manipulated it digitally and um, gave it this sort of pulsing kind of sensation. And how do they find you on YouTube? You can go to DCKM. Okay, very good. You can find that and you can see. Uh, you have several uh, works up, uh, up there of music on uh, YouTube? Yeah, uh, under DCKM, we have five tracks that are up there at this point. Very good. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. So we get back to one of the other questions I wanted to explore is, you know, we talked a little bit about where you grew up, but you kind of jumped where you grew up from, and um, and I know about your teaching and everything and how you ended up yeah. in Chicago, and a little bit more, a little more of that background for our audience. Well, I've lived in a number of places, actually. I was born in Bethesda, Maryland. My father was in the Navy at the time. And um, a couple years after that, we moved to uh, Indiana, very close to where you are right now. We lived in Chesterton, Indiana for a couple of years. And then uh, we moved to Valparaiso, Indiana. And uh, and then uh, my father got a, a job in uh, Kansas City when I was, you know, still in grade school, and um, and then I spent most of my years growing up in the Kansas City area in, in suburbs there. Um, but by the time I was, you know, turning eighteen or so, I kind of thought I wanted to go away. I, I wanted to go to school somewhere that would be new and different, and maybe I wouldn't know anyone, and I could just sort of reinvent myself. And I think that's partly what brought me to the University of Illinois back in 1987. Very good. Yeah, uh, I'm actually doing this from the home studio in Chesterton. Of course, uh, Esther's in Michigan City. So uh, we're doing this as a shelter in place. And so uh, tell us a little bit how that's uh, impacted you and what you're doing and everything. And then we'll also explore your teaching a little bit. Yeah, well, okay. So, you know, it's been, what has it been, like a month or so? since More like six, six weeks, maybe? Something like that. It, it's mm-hmm. hard to even track time anymore. Um but I can't say that the, the isolation has significantly altered my, my work practice. Um, with the music, of course, Kirk and I, we live in different parts of the country. Kirk Markarian lives in Tucson, Arizona, and I'm in Chicago. So even before the COVID crisis, he and I were sending musical files back and forth between each other and conducting... Uh, you know, communication via the telephone and that kind of thing. Um, I mean, I have not seen him face-to-face in, I don't know, a couple of years or something like that. So we already were operating in a way that was completely conducive to the coronavirus. And then with regard to my painting, um, my studio, fortunately, is in my home. 
it's in the downstairs part. And, um, you know, so I don't have to really change my work habits there. The only thing that I think I, I kind of felt the impact of is, you know, I, I was scheduled to have an exhibition here in Chicago um, the middle of last month. And right at the last minute, I I just had to pull the plug. I, I had a talk with Mike Rice, the gallerist, and, and he and I agreed, okay, let's let's postpone it. So that's that's still um, you know to be announced when we end up having the show. But gosh, you know, other than that, uh, how are things different? I guess one thing is I, I've become a, a little more mindful about the money I spend. I in the past I spent a considerable amount on art supplies, including paint, canvases, that sort of thing. And then more recently, I decided what's stopping me from just building my own stretchers and that kind of thing. I used to do it when I was a student, so I started doing that again, and now I can build a canvas for maybe an eighth of the cost if I were to purchase it. Um, and that feels good. You know, I I, I like feeling self-sufficient. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Um, and you say you also teach. Uh, where do you teach? What do you? How do you teach? And how are you teaching now? Yeah. Actually? So I I taught at Northeastern Illinois University here in Chicago for 20 years now, and I've primarily taught painting and drawing at all levels. And in the past, I've worked at a few other schools, but in recent years, it's just been at Northeastern. Very good. Uh, I, go ahead. Yeah. So, so is it all video now? Uh, your classes? Oh, the instruction, you mean? Yes. Well, uh, the way I'm conducting instruction right now is primarily via email with my students. So my students will either upload images of their work to a drive or they'll just attach the images of their work in an email and send it to me. And then I get back to them with written feedback. So it's very different, you know, from the kind of hands-on, face-to-face interactions that we were having before all this. Um, however, I, I don't, I don't find, uh, this new method to delete, to be completely, uh, lacking. Um, in some ways, uh, it might even have some advantages. And what are those advantages? Um, I guess when I when I offer feedback as an instructor uh, and it's and it's being written, it almost forces me to kind of think even more thoroughly about what I'm saying to someone and think a little bit more carefully about um, the larger picture and all the possibilities that might be behind the work that we're discussing. Students but of feel course, about it. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure it varies. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think some of them miss the old way and uh for sure and uh but i I think that there are some of my students who who almost seem like they're kind of thriving in this situation it's surprising and unexpected but there are some of my students who it almost seems like they are uh cranking out their best work i don't know if maybe they needed greater independence or you know certain people just sort of come alive in a crisis. I, I don't know what all the reasons are. I'm sure it varies, but it's been interesting. A lot of times in instructing like that type of thing, you can actually watch their technique, and yeah. you almost can't do that in this situation, watching. No. How I mean, do you think that impacts them? How does it imp- 
impact them, you're asking? Yeah. How does it impact, like, the, the teaching style, uh, you know, and everything? You're seeing more of a final product when they deliver it, but you're not seeing as much process. Well, I do have my students send me work in progress. I do have them send me images of drawings and paintings before they are finished. And I think because I have spent a number of years in the classroom watching and, and teaching that way, to some degree I'm able to kind of fill in the gaps, if you know what I mean, or sort of read between the lines. And so when I see an image of a work in progress, sometimes I can start to kind of imagine what happened before and imagine what potentially might happen next. Very good. Well, um, now that you have a home studio uh, and everything, do you, are you yeah. getting stir-crazy about being in the studio all the time? Oh, not at all. No. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, really, I'm not really spending any more time in my studio than I would have been earlier. Um, I get down there just as often or about the same. I haven't really been that stir-crazy. Uh, you know, there have been some, some moments probably, but... By and large, kind of strange. I almost feel like I'm acclimating to all this. <laughs> well, I'd like to get back to your music because we're getting close to the end here. And uh, one of the other songs that you uh, wanted to share with us was The How and the When. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that was the first song that Kirk Markarian and I um, completed when we first started collaborating around the first of the year, around the beginning of January. And uh, the way that we developed the song, well, Kirk asked me, he said, I saw you performing this guitar number on social media, and I like it. How would you feel if you sent me a recording and I chopped it up and dissected it and reconfigured it in a way that makes sense to me? And I said, sure, go for it. And so that's exactly what he did. He took a, a song that I had written oh, a couple of years ago, and he completely rehashed it in his own way, sent the file back, and said, well, now can you, can you riff over that? Can you play your guitar on top of this in some way? And I listened to his recording probably a dozen times, scratching my head, and sitting there with my guitar trying to come up with something and feeling like I was just spinning my wheels. Um, but eventually something came to me and something started to kind of click. I was able to kind of build a, a rhythm on top of what he had created. What he had created sounded almost chaotic to me and um, without structure. So I had to kind of come in and provide the structure, which is often not the way that musicians work. I think more often than not, the structure comes first, the rhythm section, and then the the details find their way in later. So we, we've worked in some unusual ways, but even after I riffed over what he did, I sent it back to him, and then he riffed over that. We often go back and forth uh, a number of times before we really complete something. And, you know, there's there's some editing that goes in there, too. Some of the, the material that we work on um, so far doesn't completely even take off the ground, you know, and we kind of back up and sort of start over. I think we got quite lucky with the how and the when. It, it just came together, and I, I can't explain really how any further than, than what I just told you. Well, let's take a listen to the how and the when.
And that's The How and the Wind uh, with David Kreiner and uh, beautiful music there. I know we should encourage everybody to go to the YouTube because the visuals are really beautiful with all of them. Thank you, Esther. We have just about a minute or so. If you could wrap up a little bit about, uh, we didn't really touch on your arts, artistic style as much, but maybe give us a quick summary of that. Well, if I were to talk about either the music that I create or the paintings, ultimately I, I see them both as a way of celebrating the fact that I'm alive, that I'm conscious, that uh, there's a spirit that seems to move as part of me. So when I create, I, I tend to really not start out with any kind of goal, usually, or preordained notion of what it's going to be about. But inevitably, that sense of celebration almost always finds its way in at some point. And um, it's taken me a while to kind of acknowledge that, I guess, and recognize it and much less be able to verbalize about it. Um, but if I had to kind of pare it down, that seems to be at the crux of it. Okay. Any final thoughts for our audience about your work? Any uh, proposed exhibitions coming up? I, I've got this uh, show with uh, Mike Rice at the Clancy in Chicago that should be coming up at some point, not too far off in the future. I don't have an exact date yet. And then I have uh, an exhibition coming up at the Garver Feed Mill in Madison, Wisconsin, scheduled for October at this point. It's a large um, exhibition space that also has stores and a bar and restaurants and that kind of thing. So I'm looking forward to that. And got a couple other shows a little further on down the line. But right now, I'm mostly just focusing on uh, making the work and um, sharing it through social media because we can't really share it in any other way. Well, that sounds great. Well, we'd like to thank you for being on Art in the Air. That was uh, painter, teacher, teacher, and musician David Kreiner. And uh, we thank you so much for making this segment of Art in the Air great. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. And we continue on Art in the Air with our next uh, guest is Margie Kreiner. She's an American artist living in Chicago. She works in miniature narratives uh, uh, with abstract sculpture. Viewers to look at her, her multiple perspectives. So welcome to the show, Margie. Hello, Hi, Margie. guys. Well, we'd like Thanks to... for having me. Well, glad to have you. We'd like to hear a little bit about uh, uh, where you uh, grew up, how you got from where you were to where you are, schools, uh, things like that along the way. Okay. Well, I was born in Detroit. And I grew up uh, just outside Detroit in Livonia, Michigan, primarily. Uh, my father was a mechanical engineer, and I grew up holding the light. So I, <laughs> it's, I, it's an enviable position to be in because you learned so much by observing. I did, and I don't think that my dad uh, really knew I was paying attention. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I held the light while he fixed the car. Uh, I specifically remember being on the floor in the garage fixing the lawnmower, and that was where my dad said, to understand a problem, you need to look at things from all perspectives. And I realized uh, when I started my current body of work that I was building that story. I didn't realize I had, I didn't go with intention to provide all these different perspectives in my work. 
but I realize now that what I do for a living is I try to teach that lesson again and again and again. That was the one that was given to me too. That was the most valuable. So when he was, when you were working with him, did he did he tell you all the names of the tools, and did he do sort of a narrative while you were helping him or holding the light? Yes, yes, yes. Good. And uh, that's where I learned what tools did what. And I watched him in the wood shop growing up. Uh, he did a lot of build out in our house, and he was a good teacher. He was a very patient man. Um. I grew up, uh, I took a lot of art classes in school, and in high school I took a lot of commercial art, which would now be graphic design classes in school, (laughs) and then after that I studied textile design at Michigan State, and textile design was a science degree at the time, so they didn't really know where to yeah, isn't that kind of strange? <laughs> That's kind of, so I also did textiles and our department was right next to the landscape architects. So. <laughs> yeah, we are, they, it's sort of like they didn't know where to put textiles. Mm-hmm. It's and true. now at Michigan State, it's in the art department. But then I was studying how to make plastic to environmental science to branding, um, Clothing design, uh, merchandising. It was, it was a mixed bag of a lot of things. That's very well-rounded, though. It, it is, but I, at the time, I didn't understand why I had to <laughs> Now I'm really thankful. But at the time, I was like, why do I have to take this class? But uh, Me too. It me really too. I'm happy that we were next to the landscape architect. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So after school, I taught myself how to do graphic design and ended up doing that for years. And Where did you do that at? Having a graphic design business with a partner and got frustrated with the two-dimensional aspect of that. I really wanted to get back into three-dimensional work and cast it all aside and started doing 3D uh, functional art out of textiles that were wearable and usable, like bags, belts, and buckles, and magnets. And then eventually I was turning into a manufacturer and got frustrated with that. <laughs> yeah, that's so humbug I, when it gets to that point. Yeah, the, it was all the artistic process was gone as somebody ordered a hundred of that one thing. So I fulfilled all my orders with that venture and stepped into fine art, impractical, uh, leap of faith. <laughs> and the world <laughs> is so happy you did. Aw, uh, thanks, Esther. So, uh, Margie, how'd you get uh, to where you are now in Chicago? What was your journey from Michigan State to there? Uh, I moved to Chicago in the 1994. I knew that I wanted to leave Michigan and live in a city. I didn't know what city that was going to be, but my college roommate at Michigan State lived near Chicago, so I had visited a lot and made some friends in Chicago, and I felt that it was a functional, I felt like I could make a living and not starve to death. (laughs) I felt like it was a very functional city. I didn't really want to move to New York. I felt it was too congested and overwhelming. 
I felt like Chicago had a Midwestern quality to it and was close enough that I could get home if I if I needed to get home yeah, to kind Michigan, of, see it's family. Kind of big, it's big and little at the same time. It's really... Yeah. Our neighborhoods yeah, are, I, you know, our neighborhoods are our little part of the bigger city, so it's really, it's a great city to live in. Yeah, I feel like it's easy to manage. You get enough room between you and your neighbor, and uh, the qual- you can have a reasonable quality of life. So, give, and I know uh, Esther will have more in-depth questions, but give us a description of kind of what your work is uh, is now, uh, uh, what, you, what you're creating. You have your own studio uh, in Chicago, separate from where you live. Is that correct? That is right. I am in a, I'm in the old Hammond Organ Factory in Chicago. Uh, before that, Al Capone was building. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a huge, sprawling building full of entrepreneurs and artists and uh, I am a woodworker and a miniature artist, and I hide miniature narratives inside larger sculpture. When I say larger, I don't mean big, but larger than miniatures. And then you peek into them through a portal. They are lit on the inside with LEDs, and the exteriors are mostly informed by 1960s sci-fi, okay, uh, and lab laboratory equipment, and mid-century modern architecture. Uh, I'm so always looking the, at I'm always looking so at architecture in the world. So do you start Do you start only with Do you start with the interior first, or sometimes do you start with the exterior and the interior form? So where Where do you start when you wake up in the morning and you're going to start a new piece? I'm usually working on about 10 at a time. So I'm working on a bit here, a bit there, and I generally start with one component. And if it could be an exterior or it could be an interior. If it's an interior, it might be that I built a tiny chair and built a room around it. Or mm-hmm. if it's an exterior, it could be this really beautiful piece of wood that I just got. Um, there's no form formula. I don't. I reinvent the wheel every time I build a new piece, which is not practical or logical. <laughs> no, I, I I disagree. I think it's both. <laughs> I think it's both practical yeah. and logical <laughs> for what you it, do. It's, it's my process, uh, it's, but it doesn't make things easy. <laughs> so, I love I you can, know all of your art career is so evident in the pieces, you know, your sci-fi patterns and, uh, you know, all the textures that you use. I mean, I... Yeah, you see a little bit of my graphic, you see my graphic design in there, you see my clothing design in there, you see my nostalgia, you see, (laughs) um, yeah, my mid-century modern life. I grew up, I grew up in a house that was designed and built in the 60s and not really updated. So a lot of my interiors are informed by that. Margie, where, um, is there anywhere we can see your work online, like a website or something like that? Oh, sure. mkreiner.com is my website. Uh, Instagram has the most up-to-date work. I post at least once a day on my process. 
and whatever you, I'm working on. And uh, if the world comes back to being a public place, my work is at the Wonder Museum in Chicago. I have miniatures hidden at that museum inside lockers. Oh my gosh, that's wonderful! Uh, so there's lockers that are public that the public can use, and then four of them are secret. Your Instagram name or uh, address? Uh, an address. Well, what, what, the Wonder Museum. Yeah. That'd be a good answer to have, but I don't. <laughs> no, but I mean for your artwork, where would you go on Instagram? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it would be at Margie Kreiner. Very good. So A R G I E C R I N E R. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start on my on my one question. Well, I have a couple questions, but um, your sculptures generally have a type of theme, and they can you know they're interpreted differently by every time you look at them. I find like every time I look in, I see something different, or maybe I'm looking at it a different way. Does that still do they still affect you that way when you're looking at them? Do you see something that catches you by surprise? Yes, usually, so I start building and I don't realize that I'm building off of something in my life. I don't, I don't directly correlate, like today I'm going to build this story that happened to me when I was five. I don't know I'm doing it while I'm working on it, mm. and I just start going. At the same time, I want to leave the story open enough that somebody can then insert their own story. So I want to I activate someone else's memory to their own life when they look at my work. So, And actually, that's my that's, second, that's like one of my second <laughs> questions, because your work allows everyone's natural curiosity to kind of be challenged. And so what have you overheard as someone was viewing your work that maybe didn't know that you were there? Like, have you overheard any kind of yes, comment? Can you share any of have, them? <laughs> sure. People have said, this one surprised me because I didn't, I knew that I was putting myself in the work, and I knew I was trying to leave room for someone else to put themselves in the work, but I didn't realize the viewer would not feel like a voyeur. I thought the viewer would feel like an outsider. And everyone again and again tells me that they're in it. They're inside it, which is very humbling to me. Yeah. Yeah, I like they're like that's me, and I I just didn't know that was gonna that was gonna be the case every time. I really thought someone would peek inside and feel like they're viewing from the outside. Right. Well, I know when you had the exhibit at the gallery, um, I can say that there was like a similar thing. Like some people, I mean, everybody connects with each one differently, but when they connect with a piece, it is a personal thing. Yeah, um, that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's an emotional component rather than a. I'm not a hyper realistic builder. I'm not. I, I can be, but I'm not necessarily trying to be. I'm trying to force feed <laughs> somebody else's. Uh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to trigger an emotion. I'm trying to get an emotional response. Well, hardly anybody just peaks and runs, you know, they really, they take their time, like, absorbing yeah. it all. I don't want it to be a one-liner. I want it to be something that can sustain. So, uh, I think the more open the work is, the more universal it, 
can be. It's true, because, uh, I mean, really, I see something different every time. You have a different perspective every time you look and study it. You know, there's, like, a different emotion, or you focus on maybe a different part of it. So they are very, you don't get, it's not like you don't get tired of them. You know, it's like it's you're creating. I like hearing other people's reaction to them, because that helps me get a new perspective on them. You know, I'm looking yes, at one of your yes. pieces right now, Margie, and uh, Ride of Life, and it's like you're in a little universe there. It's the one with a blue sofa and a green, like, easy chair and everything, and it's like you're looking into, like, a whole little uh, uh, scenario there that you can then, with your own mind, paint what it is. Yeah, or decide, like, I want that lamp in my house. <laughs> yeah, that, that <laughs> lamp is very cute. <laughs> I, love the one I, I, I love the museum shop. That was, like... So exciting to watch that develop. That was fun. That was fun to build. That was fun to build. Scale than I usually build. You're listening to Art on the Air, WVLP 103.1 FM, and on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. On a practical sense, how long does it take you to do a piece like uh, like one of these pieces? Uh, if all goes well, <laughs> which is not, that's more of a 50-50 a chance. If all goes well, uh... I generally can get a piece done in two weeks solid, just just focused on one. If I if I dissected all my time, two solid weeks just on one piece. Okay. Mm-hmm. So can you can so you if I'm explain? No, go ahead. I was just gonna say if I'm working on ten at a time, uh, you know, it could take me a few a few months to get through those. So can you sense? explain the process of working small? I mean, how how does oh, you mean the hobbling process? <laughs> well, you know that too, but also, um, you know, you take such great care. Like when you do a record store, you you are so conscious of using the records of that era and that time, and so um, and so you recreate. Well, yeah. So are well, you working? So like, are you working yeah. just from memory, or are you also looking at? photographs of record stores mm. from that time to get the bins, you know, to get the type of bin that it might be in? Uh, both. A little both. A little of both. I, I try to just work from memory, but I might need to reference some images just to get a better perspective on it. Um, the record stores specifically, I do specific years in those because they were like, uh, let's see. I the first record store I built was 1985 because that was my first paycheck, and that was where <laughs> I cashed my paycheck and spent all of it at the record store. So that year in music was hugely important to me. Uh, and in a 1985 record store, it wasn't just music that came out in 1985. It was music up until 1985. So we can find then, your favorite albums in all these record stores. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then in, I built, I have built 1979, and that was a year that my mother became ill, and she was in the hospital and sent me to the record store with money to buy my brother a birthday present because she couldn't. And it was, that was the year that music like flipped for me, where I, it was like, oh, like it was a sanctuary place for me where uh, I really stepped into loving specific bands and 
record albums, and, and it was exciting to go pick out this Tom Petty record for my brother. And uh, and then I also built 1968 because it was the year I was born, and it became a social uh, study on the year of 1968 because there was so much going on in this country with the race riots and uh, and the Apollo. And assassinations and, and, and yeah and, and assassinating Martin Luther King and and uh, Kennedy, Robert Kennedy yeah Robert Kennedy and all the, no one was getting along there was so much dissent happening and in a record store there was no problem Marvin Gaye sitting next to the Johnny Cash record <laughs> everybody's co coexisting and all that music still holds up. In 1968, the music was alive, and and it's still, they're still my favorite record. Margie, uh, how's the uh, COVID-19 uh, affecting your, your life and everything like that? It, you know, at, uh, sheltering in place, even though you do have a studio to work in, you can do that. Um, how else is it affecting you, both, you know, in general, in your business, and, and also personally? You know, it's, Business goes on. I have, a, I have a lot. I've always have a lot of work that I'm, a lot of deadlines and a lot of work to do. I'm also converting my showroom into the itty bitty mini mart, <laughs> and that will be shoppable miniatures that my studio mates and I are making. Uh, like I'm building, for example, I'm building a little. Uh, one twelve scale bar lounge with a cooler, and you can actually reach in and buy a tiny bottle of fake Bailey's <laughs> or, or a fake a fake six pack. I don't know. I've been <laughs> eyeing some of those shoes. <laughs> I need a bunch of shoes for the shoe store. the The idea behind the mini mart is to build uh, a nineteen eighties mall of places that don't exist anymore, like... like I can't uh, wait to go into Spencer's again. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think Spencer's still exists, but the way it looked in the 80s... It's, it's very like different like, now. No, it's yeah. so different now. It's not even the same creature. <laughs> so we're building, like, a, a gags and games kind of store, and we're building... Um, what else are we building? A little video VHS store and you can buy uh, Atari games there, none of which function. Um, <laughs> the coins in the fountain look so wonderful. <laughs> Building a fountain mm -hmm. and, a, and a functioning little escalator and um, maybe a little carnival that you can play games in. So just a, just a fun little respite with affordable things. And the COVID quarantine is actually giving me time to do a lot of the build out it's affording me because I can't meet with people and I can't uh, invite more people into the studio to look at work and I stopped writing proposals because who knows when the next gallery or museum will be showing work uh, so it's actually buying me time to build work where's your studio located uh, Margie it's like a luxury yeah, Where's your studio located? Chicago. I'm at 4200 West Diversity. And so uh, I'm near near Pulaski and Diversity. So then uh, eventually you're going to have that open so people could actually shop there is the way you're going with this. 
I think she means yeah. online shopping. Or yes? just online or, shopping. Oh, no. I mean both. I want both. People to come in and, and, and reach in like they're playing the operation game. So whether they've <laughs> got big tweezers, maybe, to grab little tiny shoes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean a physical shop. And also we'll all have some things online. Anything you're looking forward to once COVID-19 is done? I look forward to people coming in and, and giggling at the miniatures. I, I want to just bring a smile somewhere in there under that mask. <laughs> it's been hard for so many people. I'd like to lighten, put, add a little levity to the situation. So do you still, do you still paint or has that, has the, um... I've, only, I've only been painting small, like really small. I haven't been doing larger work, but I am going to make some tiny little paint by numbers for the tiny little art. (laughs) (laughs) So, so when we spoke to David, his studio is of course at home. So when you, if you, if you, um, like when you do your painting, would that be at home or would that be at your studio? That would be at home. Okay. Because that has a lot less dust. Yeah. <laughs> fuzzy paintings. Yes. No fuzzy paintings. No. <laughs> so have you look, help it. Have, yeah. Well, I have one of those, I have to admit. <laughs> um, it's really good, though. <laughs> so um, do you have a, a projected time when the, the mall, the mini mall is, going to be completed and and after that do you or is this going to just be an ongoing thing do you see this going on for quite a while and and I see I see it going on I see it going on with additions I see people coming coming to the little mall and saying things like oh I wish you had a chess king and then I'll think oh I should build a chess king (laughs) on it goes yes it's wonderful Like people will admit, will think, oh, I wish there was a roller rink, and then I'll, I'll want to build a roller rink. So, are you still working toward um, possible exhibits again? I mean, I did have, you, did, had you started a body of work that was for a show that was in the future? Yes. That um, yes, yeah. I had a show that got canceled at the American Greedy. Uh, Headquarters in Ohio, they have a massive gallery in their lower level, in their lobby area. And I was building a miniature uh, greeting card store, and that won't be happening now. And then I was going to have a show at the Rockford Art Museum that got canceled. Right. Oh, gosh. And you still have one, Margie, I think think you you still have one at uh, Skokie and uh, the ANC Architects in uh, October. The ANC Architects show will be in October. Right. And that is my next one. Very good. Hey, we have just about a minute or so left, so uh, tell us uh, just a final wrap-up of everything. Give us your website, your Instagram, and uh, any any of your final thoughts. Uh, uh, Let's see mkriner.com is where you'll find me, M-C-R-I-N-E-R. And Instagram, at Margie Kreiner, is where you'll see my day-to-day antics. 
what else? Which I'm so happy you post because I do feel like it allows everyone to to be there with you. You're really good about that. Just it's really fun taking, to watch. We get to take the journey with, you. with me. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. the The questions are so engaging, and um, I I love being part of the process. Margie, thank you so much for being on Art of the Air. We really appreciate having the chance to chat with you. Good luck uh, during this uh, time. That was Margie Kreiner, uh, American artist living in Chicago. She works in miniatures and very creative. Thanks for being on Art on the Air. Thank you. I adore both of you so much. Thank you for this. Thanks for having me. And we'd like to thank our guest today for being on Art in the Air, which is heard every Friday at 11 a.m., rebroadcast Monday at 5 p.m., and Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM. Your hosts are Larry Breckner and Esther Golden. Thanks again to Greg Kovach, WVLP Station Manager. Underwriters for Art in the Air are Valparaiso University's Brower Museum and Walt Brenninger of Paragon Investments. Also, Mary LeVan is our art patron supporter. Art in the Air is supported by the Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant and the National Endowment for the Arts. If you're interested in being a guest or send us information about your arts, arts-related event, exhibit, please email us at art. On the air, WVLP at gmail.com. That's art on the air, WVLP at gmail.com. See you right here next week, 103.1 FM and 89.1 FM, Art on the Air. Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know. I'm Larry, art on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther, art on the air our way. Express yourself to art and show the world your heart. Express yourself to art and show the world your heart. Express yourself to art and show the world your heart. Express yourself to art and show the world.